Dear listeners, welcome to Medicine Today on Digital Health, a podcast on digital approaches changing, improving and reshaping healthcare and medicine. Our topic today are clinical trials. How can patients participate? How can bigger transparency of trial settings be achieved? We're going to see how two German startups are approaching the topic. One is trying to improve the number of experts involved in clinical trials execution. And the other is trying to ease patient access to trials suitable for them. Clinical trials are essential from many aspects. They're needed for assessment of safety, efficacy and superiority of existing drugs, therapies and equipment. They're needed for assessment of new scientific findings. However, many challenges are present around them. How can you get the right patients? How can you rely on the results? Roughly half of clinical trials go unreported, often because of negative results. And according to CenterWatch, trials sponsored by clinical trial networks are published roughly 60% of the time, with half of the outcomes being positive. By contrast, trials sponsored by industry are only published 6% of the time, with positive outcomes reported three quarters of the time. So there's a huge publication bias present. When talking about clinical trials, the first association is usually on trials for the pharma industry. However, digital health solutions also need scientific testing and proof of work. And this is where Medicinisto can help digital health companies. The first guest of today's show is the company CEO, Guido Axman. He explains how the company is trying to prevent the same researchers participating in clinical trials all the time, how, on the other hand, younger professionals could get involved in clinical trial settings, and also how can young companies, which are barely trying to prove their solution, find appropriate experts and participants to see if the value of their solution is as they expected it to be. This is Guido Axman. So Medicinisto is a, is a platform where medical experts meet the healthcare industry directly. Any type of product that's developed in the healthcare sector could be a pill, could be a medical device, but these days could be also a digital app. At some point, you collaborate with medical experts slash physicians. So people who have basically or see patients. As an industry player, you want to collaborate with a medical expert for various reasons and for various formats. And this is a, a very complicated search. So, so far, you would have to go to Google. You would have to go to various medical databases like publications, clinical trials. You would have to go to conferences. You would uh, look into journals and find the editorial board members. You would uh, go to disease guidelines and various other formats to identify the people that you think are the most suitable ones for your project. And because this is complicated, obviously the industry with some funding goes to agencies and consultants and they start collecting data. Problem is that each agency or each consultant builds a different profile of the medical experts just depending on the data they find and store it. And the medical expert themselves are never consulted. And we believe in digital times It's it's time even for the medical sector now to become digital in that form 
that medical experts create their own profiles and share their expertise with the industry because they have a deep interest to do that by themselves and so far they couldn't. Are you only searching for or connecting with private providers? Because in public healthcare systems or in public institutions, doctors may have restrictions when it comes to uh, possibilities to collaborate with the industry. Well, the interface between medical experts and the industry is always a delicate one. Um, usually, usually the innovative doctors work in clinics. And we especially talk to university clinics, which is the where's, where's the biggest innovation going on. The service that a doctor provides needs to follow certain rules. It's clear it's a service, and it's clear that this will continue because there's work been put into. But obviously, this needs some compliance, raises some compliance issues. And as we see more regulation, not just in data privacy, but also in compliance, like, for example, the Sunshine Act in the US, which is way more advanced than what we have in Europe at the moment, where every payment from any industry to any f physician is documented, we will see this in the future as well. And we think that what we do um, helps to, to gain greater transparency because whenever it's intransparent, you will see some kind of market failure, which means that, for example, if the same industry people talk to the same doctors all the time, you don't get the full spectrum of all the expertise out there, which means some payments are allocated to only a few experts, which then is becomes into maybe a critical zone where you think that maybe they receive too much payment for things, whereas when you spread it over a, a bigger amount of experts, it becomes just a normal professional effect. How much interest have you detected so far from the doctors? Does that bring some actual financial benefit to them or is it going directly to the institution that they work for? For maybe to, to in the beginning to clarify, we probably talk about 15 to 20% of all doctors. We don't talk, talk about 80% who maybe have their daily clinical work in seeing patients. So we talk about doctors who really dedicated to develop new therapies, be part of research, be part of innovation. Usually out of these 15 to 20% of doctors, usually 80% of them work in clinics and a lot of them work in university clinics. So these doctors are kind of used to work with industry for various reasons. And I just want to point out three. First one is to develop new therapies is their mission and is also their content. So whatever they find out in the in the collaboration, they will publish, they can speak about it. So they build their career on the content that they generate together with the industry. Second motive is, yes, they want to generate more research funding for their clinics. And the third one is the very personal incentive, which um, is, is besides the content, it's a financial gain. It's a job, it's a service. And this work is paid on an hourly or daily basis. How exactly do doctors get help from your solution to raise funds for their research project? So in what sense does your platform help them get research project projects more easily? That probably 80% of the doctors, even though they are heavily involved engaging with the industry, they usually don't know how the industry found them. So they have usually no clue about uh, the agency's work on trying to compile profiles and storing data about them. As soon as they understand that situation, that their 
their work, their expertise is not them who put it together. They find this quite um, bizarre. And that when they get this point, they more or less immediately want to do it, especially for the what we call the so-called rising stars. So that's the second and the third and maybe the fourth line of expertise. So that's usually the, the highly motivated younger doctors that um, are still full in the gear of their career. They have sometimes a hard time to get in contact with the industry. And the benefit for the established people, the so-called key opinion leaders, there you usually find a similar interest on a slightly higher level or different level where they have the benefit of basically down-controlling the approach because they get a lot of approaches from various partners which is not in their field of domain. So they feel like my field of expertise is somewhere else. I don't want to be contacted by them and our platform will help to filter that. And they have a very big interest to also find the industry partners actively on the platform. So on our platform, you don't have only the doctors with a profile, you also have the industry players with a profile. It takes a hard time sometimes the industry to market their research grants. On our platform, it's very easy. You, do, you, do, you filter the ones that could be of, who are in this field of expertise, and they get a message and say, look, there's a research grant by Pfizer. The interest of the industry here is very clear. If they get a good connection with the doctors, they first of all get uh, the expertise and potential access to the market and, of course, spread of their solution. <coughs> Whereas, uh, on the other hand, doctors uh, can be a bit more uh, sensitive in um, a sense that collaboration with the industry in the public eye can often smell uh, after corruption and, yes. you know, affairs. Absolutely. So how do you avoid that? The 15% we speak about, they all collaborate with the industry. And it's the, that, that is not, it's not a question if, it's just the question how and how much and on what kind of projects. So whenever you want to do something about treatment options, where it becomes therapeutic, where it becomes something that is applied to patients, the doctor-industry collaboration comes into play. And so there's no other body that even could fund it. So what is, what is important for this collaboration to keep in mind? This needs to become, to become compliance-proof. As you say, this, this collaboration is under, under um, corruption suspect in a way. And that's why it needs guidelines. First thing, you need a clear needs assessment. So the industry doing a project needs to clearly define why they want to engage with a, with a physician. They can't just give them money to invite them to a nice hotel to tell them something about their product. This wouldn't work. This is marketing. This has been done in the past, and it gets critical these days. And it's outdated it, model. It's the old dated model, and it's still, I don't say it's not happening. It's probably still happening, but this is corruption. And there's this, this corruption, and it should be named corruption, and this, this is not what, what we talk about. We talk about where there's a scientific need to understand a medical expert's opinion on something. So this is called need assessment. If you have a clear need, you need to ask an expert, like you need a painter to paint your room, then you can ask, go out there, find the right expert, contract them, pay them, no problem. If you then go further down, you want to make a fair market value assessment. So you don't want to pay the doctor just a random rate. You cannot pay one doctor 1,000 euros a day and the other one 2,000 and another one 5,000. This wouldn't work. So it needs to be correlated with the expertise of the doctor, with the rates paid to others, and with a bit, and, and it's correlated with an industry standard, for example. This is called, called fair market value assessment. 
then you need to make sure that actually the job has been done. Was the consultant agreement? Was the agreement fulfilled? Was a certain task delivered? For example, was the PowerPoint made? Was the consultancy proposal or an evaluation paper written? Was there a report? Was there a meeting? Did it happen? And then is this documented well? And to make sure that this doesn't go wrong, you normally have various parties that control this process. So if we dive a bit deeper into the explanation of how the whole collaboration process works, um, what is the money flow or the incentive flow like? How much is the doctor aware or encouraged to do a specific work and how much does the whole money issue go um, past him? What I'm trying to ask is how can you prevent um, uh, the wrong incentives? For example, uh, in the US, you have pay uh, per service uh, models and that can cause a doctor to order more tests than are needed. So in this sense, how do you prevent, you know, doctors would do things just to um, get more money instead of... Making the best for the patient. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think what we talk about, we have to differentiate a little bit between, let's say, what we, what we let's, let's summarize it under consultancy jobs, but this is also not just consultancy, can be training, can be other forms of where doctors are engaged to deliver a certain service to the industry or with the industry. But we want to make sure that the doctors work with various suppliers in the market. So if they if they participate in advisory boards from, let's say, five different competing companies on the same issues because they are an expert in the field, the dependency of one to pre prescribe one drug just because they get invited to the advisory board is lessened. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we have this issue, and we have it in the past. It was self-created. A lot was created like this. The industry in the past did this a lot. You basically, we all know that doctors got invited to nice hotels and nice locations to just educate them. I think these days are more or less over. It still happens. But what we talk about is 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 services that are clearly defined, and the doctors are really adding a benefit. I think in 10 years' time, it will be fully transparent who works with whom at what level. And it's a very natural thing that the industry contacts the doctors directly. And it's a, it's a, it's a normal flow of information like you find it in many other industries. So this. Have you considered also connecting to researchers at the university. The problem with drug development is that the pharma industry is very good at uh, translating uh, drugs to the market after the phase two clinical trials. So uh, the biggest problem is getting fund funding for the research problems uh, or research projects at the university that need to first go uh, to, to phase one clinical trials. What does the digitalization do? The digitalization helps us to process, generate and communicate all kinds of information with nearly anyone, anywhere, at almost no cost. What does that do to the whole system is that any hierarchical order gets reshaped, I would say. So maybe in the past it was only industry talking to doctors and then doctors talking to patients. You would see now more like a triangular shape 
that obviously industry talks to doctors, but also they will talk to patients directly because it doesn't make sense that when a patient is in a clinical trial, for example, that the that when they report side effects, that this goes only via the next visit with the doctors back to the industry. So why not sending this information straight to the servers of the industry and the doctors and so they talk all to each other? And the same is true with researchers and even more disciplines that are not such a or that don't play such a crucial role these days. But for example, data scientists. Data scientists will be utterly important in the, in the future. And we believe that a lot of people will have a profile on our platform soon who are not classified as a doctor or a, med or a medical expert at, a, at an industry, but as an expert that is needed to understand things and to shape things. And researchers are part of it. And there are more and more programs that want to translate the research success directly from, from any university into the into the practice and the the industry actually is 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 highly motivated to do that because as you know they want to fill their pipeline they need to convince their invest investors and they go more and more into smaller domains which was before like whatever 10 years ago pharma industry was only or almost only interested in blockbuster diseases that why we have so much treatment on on the big diseases like whatever alzheimer we work a lot on and heart diseases and others But now they talk about rare diseases and orphan diseases and personalized medicine. So all of that changes. So I think the researchers themselves will play a bigger role in talking directly to potential partners in developing something. At the moment, in the initial phase, we focus mainly on medicine meets industry. Yes, this is our clear focus in the beginning. But in the, in the patient-centric model, patient-centric means that you put the end user's benefit or need at the core of everything else. So basically, like you would design a phone these days to the full needs of the user, medicine has not always been designed for the end user. And I think this is what comes into the game, and we will see this a lot. And we will probably not create a platform where every patient creates his, his or her own profile. This wouldn't make sense, but we will probably help the industry and the doctors to find ways to include the patient in their communication, like discussed before, that whenever you have a clinical trial going on, the reporting of side effects, either through us or other startups that are in this field, can go directly to, to the industry. There's no need to wait for a doctor's visit, for example. If you think about it, this need has been existing for decades The technology needed to implement the idea is not that complicated that it wouldn't be possible five, ten years ago. So you're absolutely right. The need has been there before, and a lot of attempts has been made to, to cure it. So every company started to set up their own customer relationship management tool like a CRM, or they tried to use data providers and all of this. Um, to our perspective, it was always an incremental step because we believe the The, the final solution is that the people who own the data should share the data and not others share data about someone and make up a digital image. And so we took some time to actually put this, put this idea into a business plan and to fully decide to do this. And we, we started basically a year ago. And on the other hand, the time is only now ready and mature enough where, where every doctor has a smartphone and where everyone is used to at least have a LinkedIn profile or something similar. So now that we have this digital awareness amongst doctors, which, which took, I guess, the longest, we can, we can actually build such a platform. Before, it would have been really tough to convince doctors 
to even think about putting out data about themselves into some platform they don't know, but they are pretty used to it on, on many occasions now. And we have an, an, an upcoming generation that is much more dif, uh, digital in, in ways they work and think and even studied than it was probably the ones that did it before. You touched upon a very important uh, issue, which is data protection. Of course, the industry would love to have all the data out there on patient behavior, on compliance, and of course, on how to make better products and of course, make more money. Uh, however, the regulatory uh, view here is very, very protective. So I'm Talking from a legislation point of view, how is data protection here going to be solved? Because legislation is much more conservative uh, as the users are. So we've been waiting in telemedicine for years now to have a solution that would just work, as, for example, as Skype. But then in the end, the, the production or the development is so complicated that um, doctors don't use some uh, legislation compliant solution, which does not mean that they don't use digitization. You know, a patient will simply agree with the doctor that they can communicate over Gmail or doctors in the NHS, as we've recently heard, just used Snapchat to communicate between each other to consult about a specific patient. At the moment, the regulation would say that every personalized data that, for example, the industry wants to store about a medical expert would need his or her consent. In practice, some do it in some countries. So they send a letter to the doctor and say, we, because if we want to collaborate, we need some data stored from you please sign this form. This is, this is happening in some countries by some industry. Most of the time, it's in a gray area. They either outsource the data problem to a third party, like a data provider that sits somewhere wherever. So this is another big driver for us that the industry has a big longing to get rid of the pain point. So they would wish if we could shift ownership back to the doctors themselves to host their own data and be responsible for whatever they want to share with, with anybody. And so actually we help them with that, which hasn't been solved so far, apart from you want to do it, the consent process yourself with all the doctors. And this is thousands of doctors setting, getting letters and signing for every company they sign. Letters. It's a mess. And actually next year, the EU data directive will actually even help us to hopefully grow faster because it will even make it a bit more complicated for private companies to store data of, of a personalized data of, of companies. Yeah, from a common sense perspective, it's pretty crazy to see how limited patients are when it comes to accessing data about themselves. Either it's on paper or there's this long-wind way of accessing them. A lot of clinical studies uh, have an opt-in option for patients to share their data scientifically, anonymously, obviously, but it, it's we're building a data stock that's amazing. So we will be able to look back into the past and we will be able to predict the future on certain issues if people make their data available. So it's highly appreciative. And probably in the future, you will not 
donate uh, organs anymore because we can grow them in a in a fridge, uh, but you will donate data. So that's the that's a modern form of organ donate donating or sell or sell. Yeah, both. Probably. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Why not making a little money with it? No problem. I mean, if that if that creates value somewhere else, it shouldn't be for free. Why? Doesn't and if it doesn't hurt an individual, for example, huh? the big issue in the U.S. is that um, insurance companies are, of course, profit-oriented, so they can easily say that they will not insure you because you're too risky of a client. So that's where the, the data becomes problematic if you if it's too available. Yeah, we we have this, I think, in this country as well. I mean, the private insurance system, we have this dual system, and this will probably have to change in a digital world as well. I think I don't see how you can so easily create subgroups of individuals that then get optimized, whereas the rest is taking all the burden. Researchers and clinical trial settings are the basic two components of each new project. The next challenge is finding the participants for the study. For some patients, participation in a clinical trial can be a shortcut to new therapies or a last resort for their health improvement. There are currently more than 383,000 registered clinical trials taking place globally, according to the International Clinical Trials Registry Platform. Have you ever wondered how can you find the appropriate trial for yourself and who to contact to get in? The industry is looking for participants through doctors, internet, patient groups or advertisement. There are many means. And one option for German patients is Viomedo. Viomedo is a platform, a sort of database of clinical trials in Germany, making it easier for patients from Germany to find appropriate trial for themselves. I talked to Alexander Pushilo, the managing director of Viomedo, who talks about how the company is connected to the industry, what challenges patients are facing when trying to get into clinical trials, and how the company is solving the issue. When it comes to clinical trials, if you read the reports of the trials, a big number of patients uh, is usually involved in these trials. From an outside perspective, it doesn't really occur to the reader that getting into clinical trials is a problem. Well, it, it really depends on who you are. If you are the person who's driving research in that area, of course, it's not an issue for you to get yourself or your loved ones into a trial. Um, but the majority of, of patients don't have a key opinion leader or a leading research scientist, um, a medical research scientist in their family. And, and so if you don't have the connections right now or before we started, there was just no way that you would even know what, what trials were running because all that data was very well hidden um, or Usually, in that case, patients obviously rely on their doctors. But it, it's really hard to stay on top of what's going on in my city, in my, my region, in terms of research, in terms of trials. So basically, what your platform is offering is like a database of clinical trials, right? We, we started with a database of clinical trials. But then, of course, uh, it's a bit of a problem in the reverse then, because once 
you would type in lung cancer, you would see 70 trials running. And so then the next problem is, how do I as a patient find the right trial for me? And then the next problem would be, okay, once I've found the right trial, how do I make sure that the patient actually reaches the, the doctor, reaches the clinic, and there's a, there's, a, there's a mutual interaction going on between the... What is the difference between a patient uh, looking for a clinical trial through your platform uh, compared to going through a patient group or forum? Patient forums are still very much alive and sometimes they also offer information on clinical trials. Um, but the problem is they don't have a complete overview and the, ma the, the, the capability to match a patient to a trial. Last year, we collected anonymized patient records on over 50,000 patients. And so we have a lot of data we can play with in order to improve the matching of, of patients with um, trials. So in a forum, you could find, hey, guys, there's a new trial starting up. Um, I've heard um, but they could, wouldn't be able to answer the question necessarily, what's the closest trial to me? What trials are, are specifically suited for me? Um, all these things is, is where you need the tools and um, the technology that we've developed. So what is the relation between a patient, his doctor, and the clinical trial? Can a patient simply find a clinical trial and has to then connect to his doctor or does it go directly to the researchers? Usually um, the researcher, so the investigator who um, conducts the trial, informs the patient and, and also determines if the patient can participate. And in that case, um, if he does, then he would inform the, the general practitioner of the patient that the patient is now participating in the trial. So how much follow-up data do you have about the users that visit your uh, platform? When we are tasked with recruiting patients for a trial, we have the data until they participate in the trial. They found the trial through us, we've determined that the patient is eligible, we connected them with a doctor, they went to the doctor's office, they've signed the informed consent, they've went through all the screening procedures, and they've decided to participate. So for these trials where we do that, um, for our clients, the patient recruitment, um, there we have all that data. For the other trials that are on our platform, just for the sake of having a complete platform and providing patients a complete access, we just know that patients... Um, have established contact with the investigator. What is the, the feedback that you get from researchers? I'm, how much did this help them to accelerate um, clinical research? So we, we contribute significantly to the amount of patients that every site recruits. Um, it's, it's really depending on indication, but we um, usually reach around 30% uh, of additional patients that uh, an investigator gets through us. Clinical trials are in a way similar as direct to consumer advertising of medicine, which is uh, forbidden in many countries in Europe, unlike in the US. Does that make it harder for you? Um, usually clinical trials are exempt from that re regulation, but it really depends on a country-to-country -country basis and also on the channel that we use. But we also work together with 
many patient advocacy groups, work together with a lot of patient portals uh, and things like that. And is it only patients from Germany or can other patients, only German? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In order to be able to participate in a clinical trial, a patient needs to be aware of what's happening, of all potential risks, of the exact treatment. The patient needs to sign an informed consent. That informed consent is available in Germany, usually only in German, um, sometimes maybe in Turkish and, and um, in Russian. And how much competition do you have on the market? I mean, with big data and all the information that we leave behind on the internet, it's going to get easier and easier for big companies such as Google to offer solutions like this. Are you afraid of that? Well, I, I certainly hope so that it gets easier and easier because then it means that more and more patients will have access to trials and it means that our vision to, to help patients and researchers to realize the future of medicine will get into reach much faster than we've imagined. Dear listeners, you've been listening to the 16th episode of Medicine Today on Digital Health. This is the first episode of the second season of the podcast. Make sure you also check out our previous episodes. We talked about what blockchain is bringing to healthcare, what is the future of wearables and biosensors, why is IT so hard to integrate into healthcare, and more. And a peek into the future? The next episode will be focused on Israel. There are more than 300 digital health-related startups in the country, which is only 22,000 square kilometers big and only has 8.5 million people. Curious? Stay tuned! <laughs>